coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Rivals and Hogbeat.com. We're going to be talking about opening weekend. Arkansas hosts Eastern Illinois for the first series of the baseball season. So exciting. Um, Arkansas also hosts Mississippi State for their second matchup of the season. And recruit offers are flying out the door. So we're up to over 100 offers. So we'll get you caught up on the guys that you really need to know at this point. And that's it. Let's do it. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel, and I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson. We are your Hogbeat.com Razorback Insiders. This week's episode is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boys. They are the delicious hamburgers located in Fayetteville and Russellville. Hutch, I know you have a particular affinity for CJ's, so just give them a little plug. Well, I mean, it's the place that I always uh, stopped uh, at with my grandparents when going down to Little Rock for games at War Memorial Stadium. Uh, they're in Russellville. Delicious burgers. They're kind of the old-style burgers, really good fries, uh, just a really good environment. And now they got a location up in Fayetteville, so I don't have to wait until Arkansas plays at War Memorial or whenever I'm going down to Central Arkansas. I can have them whenever I want. I seriously need to go there more because it's about three minutes from my house. Yeah, so good. I remember you taking me there in Russellville, and uh, definitely glad to have them as some sponsors for Arkansas Razorback baseball, so or basketball. So we'll talk about basketball in a little bit. But the big thing on everybody's mind this weekend is, you know, opening weekend facing Eastern Illinois. I know you have a season of predictions up on Hogbeat now, but just for this weekend, what are you expecting? Well, I think it's it's a series that Arkansas should sweep, really. I mean, Eastern Illinois, they are on a different level than Arkansas. Uh, they, they are in the Ohio Valley Conference, which does have some good baseball. Uh, you know, Tennessee Tech uh, comes to mind, a uh, very good baseball program. But Eastern Illinois, that's who Arkansas actually opened up with last year. So back-to-back -back seasons opening against Eastern Illinois, kind of unique. Uh, they swept uh, the Panthers last year won a couple of blowouts and then the second or the third game was actually uh, a game that Arkansas really had to to fight for they won in walk-off fashion I believe on a walk-off hit by Heston Kerstad so uh, I expect something similar I think Arkansas's bats are going to explode this weekend just looking at Eastern Illinois starting rotation uh, guys who had ERAs over five and six last year so I, I really, know, that's bad. Yeah, that that's not <laughs> good. Uh, and one of those guys comes from junior college, uh, and it's a junior college that I really have never even heard of, so it's not like it was a JUCO powerhouse or anything and uh, didn't exactly have great numbers. Now, two of those guys are lefties, which I think Arkansas fans, that'll make them a little uneasy uh, considering their struggles against lefties last year. But uh, these aren't the SEC lefties. These are uh, guys that Arkansas should uh, hit pretty well uh, from top to bottom. I know Casey Martin got a lot of people excited. He said in his press conference the other day that this team might be better than last year's team. In your expert opinion, what do you think of their roster, their pitching staff, and all that, and how it compares to last year? 
You know, the lineup, I think, could be better. I really do, and that's saying a lot because Arkansas has had has been very, very good offensively uh, the last three years. Honestly, Arkansas has more home runs than every team in Division One except for one, Tennessee Tech, uh, over the last three years. So they have been very, very good. I expect them to be very, very good again this year. Obviously, Heston Kerstad and Casey Martin are right there in the thick of it. Uh, but you also, from, from top to bottom, are, are going to be very good. I think guys that maybe struggled a little bit at the plate last year, uh, like a Casey Opitz or a Christian Franklin, uh, even a Jacob Nesbitt, guys that hit maybe in the 250 to 270 range, I expect them to hit better uh, this year, increase the batting average, but also an increase in power. It literally, I, I made this one of my bold predictions in my piece today, I would not be surprised if Arkansas hit 100 home runs this year. Uh, that's saying a lot. That's going to take a lot. Uh, but I think it is within reach. I mean, they, they hit 98 a couple of years ago, which is a school record. So they've been close before, I think 88 last year. So I think they get to 100 this year. Uh, you put out a poll, I think, on Twitter who hits the first homer of the season. I don't think you get to vote in your own poll. So who do you think? Well, for the poll on Twitter, I, I made the options Heston Kerstad, right. Casey Very Martin, limited. or the field. Yeah. Uh, you can't really put too many more options on Twitter. But uh, I was a little surprised that over 50% of the votes went to Heston Kerstad. That's not a knock on him. That's just because Arkansas is so deep, as I said. They, they, could, they could see a home run hit out of the leadoff spot with Braden Webb, the JUCO transfer. They could see it uh, before, before even Heston comes up there. I think Heston's a solid pick. I think the one I'm going to go with, though, is Christian Franklin. He, he's a guy that I think might be, uh, he's my surprise All-SEC pick for this year's team. The dude has done nothing but hit since the College World Series last year. He was the only guy that hit in Omaha. The, the team really struggled in their 0-2 showing, and then he dominated out in the California League over the summer. He hit really well in the fall scrimmages, and he has hit really well in the, the preseason inter-squad scrimmages leading up to the year. So. I really think that he is going to have a really big season, and so I think because of that, I'll go ahead and pick him as being the guy that, that hits the first long ball. Um, the Razorbacks, you know, if you haven't been paying attention to them since last season, what are the things that fans will want to really look out for during this first series? You know, the thing I'm going to be really watching is Blake Adams pitching on Sunday. Uh, you knew coming in that your first two guys were going to be Connor Ola and Patrick Wicklander in, in some type of order. Uh, we've since learned that Connor is going to start on Friday, followed by Patrick on Saturday. The mystery was who was going to be that third guy. They have several veteran options that they could have gone with. They could have gone with a Kevin Copps, you know, team captain. They could have gone with Cole Ramage, who's apparently had a really good preseason. Uh, but they went with Blake Adams, a freshman out of Springdale Harbor. He's a guy that I've actually seen play, get this, since he was seven and eight years old. He's from my hometown, uh, and my first job uh, was as a scorekeeper uh, for Little League baseball games in Springdale, uh, fitting enough. And I remember watching his teams. He played on a stack team where every time they played, it was a run-roll victory, which was great for me because I got paid the same whether the game How lasted. How do you remember that? Well, I just remember because the, the way it was, was if, you, if the game went an hour and a half or if the game went 30 minutes, I got paid the same. Uh. So I thought it was cool. I had to work less. I got paid the same. Gave me more time to talk to girls. You know, I mean, <laughs> teenager Andrew, that, that was a good deal right there. Uh, so I remember Blake Adams being on those teams and just 
absolutely dominating. Uh, so I, I'm anxious to see him play for the Razorbacks. I know he is very excited. This was I asked him about it on Media Day, and he said that this is something he's dreamed about since his as long as he can remember, and he's had season tickets for as long as he can remember. So it's it's going to be pretty cool for him and his family on Sunday to, to get that starting nod. So when they're deciding these starters, like who has the biggest you know impact on the decision? Is it Dave Van Horn? Is it Matt Hobbs? Like who really decides those things? Because as you said, there were other guys that they could have chose to start instead of Blake Adams. So who makes that decision? And do they switch it up often? Ultimately, it's Dave Van Horn's decision. I mean, he's been doing this for forever yeah. I mean it seems like as long as I've been alive at one level or another uh, and he's earned the right to make those decisions but Matt Hobbs is is very good at what he does I mean he was pursued by the New York Yankees to be their pitching coach for a reason uh, so Dave will listen to his assistants but ultimately he makes a decision and it, and it wasn't surprising to me because Dave likes to keep those veteran guys in the bullpen he likes to have a Kevin Copps where if you know say Patrick Wicklander goes out there and is only able to give you four innings well, now you have a Kevin Copps who can go in there and, and throw three innings and get you to the seventh, eighth, ninth inning and, and kind of back up that guy. Or if Blake Adams goes out there and, and struggles his first outing, you can put in a veteran who can give you some, some long relief innings. So uh, I wasn't particularly surprised by the decision. Uh, it's it's very uh, a very classic Dave Van Horn move. People were sharing on, on Twitter how the Sticks have all three of Arkansas starters this weekend in their program. Um, like how many really successful or summer spring baseball teams are there like that that are that powerful in the state of Arkansas is it just the sticks the sticks for the state of Arkansas are are the program uh, I know that there's some other good programs out there but but Chase Brewster does a fantastic job uh, really is helpful for me whenever it comes to to covering a little bit of baseball recruiting it's a very hard sport to cover when it comes to recruiting uh, but they have a ton of talent a lot of guys that go on to play for Arkansas but also they produced uh, guys that have gone on to play at Missouri Ole Miss uh, I think Tennessee and then that's just the SEC teams they have other guys that go on to play at other division one schools other division two II, division three NAI JUCO I mean all um, pretty much all their guys go on to play college ball somehow so very powerful I think it's a nationally respected uh, program as far as travel ball goes so uh, I can't can't say enough of uh, about what they do as as a summer ball team when we come back we're going to be talking a lot more baseball and then we've got basketball chatter and recruiting so stay with us on the hockey hour So I know I've been here for, you know, a couple seasons of Razorback baseball now, but it still, like, shocks me just because of how, you know, other major Arkansas programs are, like football. Like, how did Arkansas baseball become such a prolific program? Well, it all starts with Norm DeBryan. Uh, Arkansas has had two men at the, at the helm of baseball for what, five decades, something like that. It's been a long time. Norm DeBryan was the first of those guys and just took the baseball program, really brought it into the forefront of college athletics because before him, it was mostly a club sport. I mean, they were playing at the Washington County Fairgrounds. They didn't really have a, a home stadium. It was a field that a lot of teams in the Southwest Conference didn't even want to come and play at. Uh, and so he's he really kind of 
got it going. They they made it to the College World Series in 79, finished runner-up to Cal State Fullerton, a powerhouse. Uh, really kind of got things going, got guys like Kevin McReynolds and some other powerful players and just kind of steadily built it, got its own on-campus stadium. Uh, you know, that was uh, George Cole Field, which was right here next to Razorback Stadium, the football field. Uh, they eventually moved, I believe, in 96, I want to say, out to Bomb Stadium, and Bomb Stadium has just grown ever since then. And when Norm Bryan retired, they targeted Dave Van Horn, a former Arkansas player who had had a lot of success. He won a Division II National Championship, had taken Nebraska, which didn't really play baseball before he got there, taken Nebraska to back-to-back -back College World Series. And they went after him, and he came so here. So Nebraska and, didn't have a good program, but they play the World Series in Omaha. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> Nebraska. Pretty I, I'm pretty sure Nebraska really was a very mediocre baseball <laughs> program, and Dave Van Horn just elevated it, took him to the College World Series, was the most logical choice whenever Norm decided to retire, and he came here. And year two at Arkansas took him to the College World Series, kind of ahead of schedule, and has really just kind of steadily built it where they were a College World Series contender, you know, every three years to where now it's pretty much every year they're expected to make it to Omaha. That's an unrealistic expectation because even the greatest teams have down years, but they are year in, year out going to compete as a, as a top 25, top 10 program in the country. So in, in football, it's very tough to crack into the upper echelon of teams. How hard is it in baseball? Because, you know, recruiting is tough. You only have so many scholarships. Like, I mean, how hard was it for Arkansas to get to this level? And can other schools kind of replicate what they've done? Well, I think what we're seeing now is, is the result of basically 50 years of mm -hmm. building to this point, you know, starting with Norman O'Brien to going to Dave Van Horn. So I, I don't necessarily think it's it's easy. It may be a little, it's probably harder in football just because there is such a big discrepancy uh, between the haves and have-nots. Uh, you know, you're never going to see, you know, like in baseball, I think it was Coastal Carolina won a national championship a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and they're traditionally year in, year out, a very good program. You're not going to see a Coastal Carolina break into the college football right. playoff. It, it's much harder. Uh, to do that in football, the way that everything's set up, you know, you only got four teams. Even if you are a great UCF team, you're still not going to get in the opportunity, get the opportunity to play for a national championship. Uh, baseball, you know, it's kind of like basketball. You've got 64 teams mm -hmm. that make the NCAA tournament, uh, so you have a more opportunity, I guess you could say. And uh, it is, it's a little bit more even because of the scholarship limitations. You know, you have some schools that are able to kind of work around that, manipulate that, Vanderbilt being one, uh, the, just based on the, the advantages given to them by the university. Uh, that's a whole complicated conversation for another day. But it is, you see teams like Cal State Fullerton be really good in baseball. You see Rice be really good in baseball. These are teams that would have no business competing on a right. football field. Um, looking at your season prediction, where do you have the Hogs finishing overall, and how does it compare to what you predicted in years past, perhaps? Well, last year, uh, I predicted Arkansas. I, I didn't think there was any way that they would make it back to the College World Series. I thought they lost way too much from the national runner-up team, and it was just going to be too much to overcome. And I'd always kind of thought that the 2020-2021 seasons were the years that you would really look at going – 
hey, this, this is when they could maybe make another run at a national title. Uh, <laughs> I was wrong. Dave Van Horn uh, proved that he is the GOAT once again and got them back to the College World Series. And honestly, during the regular season, they may have been better last year than they were in 2018, which was just mind-blowing to me. Uh, I think they make it back to Omaha this year, but making it three years in a row is not easy. Have uh, you already looked up the stats on how yes. many teams have done that? Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> there, there's only a handful of teams. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I have uh-huh. a, a, a note in my uh, phone uh, mm-hmm. with all the numbers in there. I plan to do something about that at some point in the nice. next couple of days. Uh, but it is not easy. Now, Arkansas, if, if any team's going to do it, Arkansas would be a team that could do it. They, they still have several key pieces that were on the last couple of years. My biggest question is, do they have a Blaine Knight, Isaiah Campbell type ace? I'm not 100% sure. I, don't, I think Connor Nolan and Patrick Quicklander are both going to be very good. It could even be all SEC caliber players. You know, in a normal year, this is kind of the year of the pitcher where there's so many freaking good pitchers in the SEC, but there's not a guy that I think is going to go out there where you know, okay, on a Friday after, Friday night in the SEC, he's going to give us six or seven innings and make us give us a very good chance to win. I mean, they Blaine and Isaiah were a combined, I want to say, 26-1 and one over the last two years as a Friday night guy. Oh, man. That is, that is <laughs> unbelievable, and I think people that get lo- gets lost on people – and people are going to take that for granted. I don't know if Arkansas has a guy like that. That's, again, not saying that Connor and Patrick aren't going to be very good, but are they going to be that good? Hey, Connor took my advice, decided to stick to <laughs> baseball, and so you never know. He, he Maybe he has developed into that guy. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about a lot of basketball because, you know, things have taken a little bit of a downturn, but... Eric Musselman is staying positive, so we will get to all that coming up. Hey everybody, we're back. It's the Hogbeat Hour. You're here with Nikki and Hutch. Um, Arkansas is sitting at, what is it now, 16-8 and eight in uh, this season. And what are they now, like 4 and Four and six, six in conference play. Yeah, so it, it's been kind of a slide lately, and I think it came to a shock to a lot of Arkansas fans. But is that kind of what you expected when Isaiah Joe got hurt? I don't know if I expected it to be quite as drastic. Uh, I thought that they would still be competitive, but they were far from competitive against the the Tennessee Volunteers this past week, past game, losing by 21. That that was a little bit surprising. Uh, but again, I, I think it was only a matter of time before they finally had one of those losses. Because before that game, Arkansas was one of nine teams in the country that had not lost a game by double digits. But Eric Musselman came in with his stats today, and he actually said that eight SEC teams have lost by double digits this season, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> he, he was, like, listening, Kentucky by 14, Florida by 17, Ole Miss by 17. Well, like, he, he the came teams, in there, like, ready to Kentucky fire. was one of the teams that actually hasn't <laughs> lost by double digits. Um, oh, they, they won by double digits. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a double-digit game, whatever, it's not. But, I mean, the, the whole point of the stat was before Tuesday's game against Tennessee, Arkansas was in every yeah. game. They were very competitive. Even though they had lost six or seven of them, 
they were still in the game, and that was a little bit unique. But, I mean, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, this is going to end at some point because you looked at the other teams on that list, yeah, I think four or five of them were ranked in the top 25. I mean, you had San Diego State that hadn't lost at all. Baylor's the number one team in the country. Kentucky, Duke. These are teams that are, you know, top programs. And the other teams were teams like Northern Iowa, Yale, Wright State that are – not necessarily powerhouses or ranked teams, but they're dominant in their league. Arkansas is neither a powerhouse, you know, they're not ranked, and they're also not a top team in the conference. So you knew at some point there was going to be an off night, and boy, was it an off night uh, at Tennessee. Yeah, so Mason Jones went one for ten. Obviously, anytime Mason Jones goes one for ten, that's you're going to lose. And then Jalen Harris didn't add anything really to the scoreboard, and then um, who was it? I think it was Adrio Bailey that just couldn't really do much on the boards, and that's really what he's in there for. Like he has to get rebounds. So, oh man, it's gonna be tough against Mississippi State on Saturday. Um, they welcome the Bulldogs at noon. You can catch it on SEC Network, but. Arkansas lost to them the first go around. Um, don't have the score. Seventy-seven to seventy, maybe. Something like that. But it was a seven. It was one of the seven-point losses. Yeah, so it wasn't too bad of a loss, but they got crushed on the boards, and that was obviously a major thing. And then Reggie Perry went like fourteen of fifteen from the free throw line, so he was obviously getting buckets and drawing fouls. So Eric Musselman was saying that you know he's gonna score. We cannot stop him. Um, but the point is to limit him as much as possible. Uh, and I think that, you know, <laughs> Ethan Henderson's going to have to play. Jamario Bell might have to play a little bit. Like, we're going to need all the big man inside help we can get. But he was pointing out that the fouls that Reggie Perry was drawing, like, they could have avoided them. avoided them. They weren't necessary nor on scoring plays. So hopefully if they break down the tape enough – which, you know, Eric Musselman and his staff are known to prepare to the fullest. Uh, hopefully they can kind of get it turned around at home, which is going to be huge as well. And I know they're bringing in Moses Moody for another visit. He's committed but not signed. Um, all those recruits that are committed but not signed, K.K. Robinson, Jalen Williams, they're they're still very positive on the program, so that's good. But important to win at home against Mississippi State, who – I don't think they've been doing, like, that great lately. I think they just got blown out by Ole Miss, which is not a great loss. Because they, they were working themselves into the bubble. You know, they had some early struggles, and I think they had some injuries earlier in the year. But I, I think they were blown out by Ole Miss the other day, and uh, are, that was kind of a, a big blow to their uh, their hopes of maybe getting on the right side of the bubble. Um, a lot of people were saying after the game the other day that Adrian Bailey needs to shoot more. <laughs> and while his percentage is high, he just doesn't shoot a high volume. So if he did shoot at a higher volume, his percentage would be worse, I imagine. So Eric Musselman said, no, we're, we're not really going to have him shooting more. Uh, but we do need to get Mason Jones back on track. Um, he's still very proud of the defense. Here's what he had to say about like his whole defensive philosophy and why it's really the only thing that they're doing well right now. We came into this season with, we're not a tall team, what can we be great at? Well, we know we can be great at defending the three. And those numbers, to be number one in the country is hard in any category. 
and arguably the three-point shot's the biggest thing that can change games. And that's probably, quite honestly, why we've been in a lot of games all year, because we have not let teams annihilate us from three. And usually these large margins, and you're on the wrong end or you're on the right end, it's usually the three-point thing can, can be the difference maker. Having said that, if I'm close to you and you're a three-point shooter, you might foul a little bit more too. So Arkansas is really trying to overcome their you know, offensive deficiencies with defense, and it worked when it wasn't you know, the height of SEC play, but now you're down Isaiah Joe. You can hardly rely at all on the guys on your bench, which is really unfortunate because of how short it is. Um, so I don't know, what do, you, what do you think about the next seven or six games? You know, the way the schedule sets up, it's manageable down the stretch. I, I don't have any grand expectations of them, you know, winning five of their last seven or anything like that. But they are capable of winning some of these games. You got Missouri at home. You got Tennessee at home. You have Georgia on the road. Those those are all kind of teams that you, you should be able to beat, uh, games you should be able to win. And... If you get Isaiah Joe back, maybe you can win those. Maybe maybe you can still get to 20 wins. It's not out of the question right now. I mean, they're they've got 16. Uh, so now, does that is that enough to get in the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure 20 does. You'd probably have to do a little bit of damage uh, in the SEC tournament. But uh, that would still be. I mean, as we said before the season, making the NIT this year would be a successful season. So people have to remember that. It, not just that. Go, hey, they, they were in projected in the NCAA tournament. They they had some injuries, they ran out of gas, and they had really honestly overachieved up to that point. As we talk hoops, want to remind you, hope you're not too hungry right now, but maybe you are, um, CJ's Butcher's Boys, they are our Hogbeat Hoops sponsors. So get to Russellville or Fayetteville, you can get yourself burger and fries and some delicious ranch dipping sauce. <laughs> Sorry for making you guys hungry. Um, <laughs> but seriously, thanks so much to CJ's. Really appreciate the sponsorship. Love to have you guys. Um, going back to Arkansas hoops, um, the Razorbacks are trying to find the perfect mixture to contain Reggie Perry. And they're also trying to improve their turnover to assist ratio. And right now, their turnovers have really shot up like it, there should be Especially no reason early. for it, but Isaiah Joe was not a big turnover guy. So when you replace all of his minutes with someone else, your turnovers go up. The biggest thing is that the turnovers, turnovers have been early. I mean, they've had like eight turnovers in the first nine minutes or ten turnovers in the first ten minutes. I mean, it's been a high volume of turnover. They've been able to reduce them after that point. You know, but by that point, they've dug themselves a very large hole. They haven't shot the ball well early, and so it's kind of contributed to a slow start. So, uh, yeah, they need to they need to figure out how to cut those turnovers down early because they've been really, really costly the last couple of games. The the SEC refs have also made it a little tougher to watch these games lately. <laughs> That's just kind of how it goes, though, right? I mean, it it's yeah. not anything new. No, it's not, and I mean this is, and I'm not at all blaming the referees for what Arkansas put on display in Knoxville the other night. Arkansas yeah. was by far the worst team on the floor that night, uh, regardless of the referees. But there were like over 50 fouls called, and that's become kind of common 
in Arkansas's games. And, you know, Arkansas does foul a lot. Of, you know, you said Eric talked about that. Musselman did. and But that's just a super high amount of fouls, and it does make it hard to watch. That's more than one a minute. That That's a lot. Um, so Arkansas is playing Mississippi State for the second time this season. Here's what Eric Musselman had to say about how playing a team a second time is actually quite a bit easier, he thinks, and um, what the game plan is against Mississippi State. Not to oversimplify, but, you know, but like in the NBA, a lot of coaches say this is a make or miss league. I mean, we had plenty of open looks the other night, and the, and the ball didn't go in. And um, we've got to make open shots, you know, and, and, and so does Mississippi State. You know, and so will Florida and Gainesville next week. So it's, it's, uh, you know, we want to continue to, 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 to be a, a top 20 defensive team. I think, I think right now, we are 18th in the nation in steals. Uh, we're top 10 in in, in turnover margin. Um, so a lot of good things too. But we've got to start making shots. Um, you know, we can't, as a team, just rely on Mason to have 35. That's – other players have to make open shots. Um, when you play a team for the second time, uh, you know, hopefully you use it to your advantage through preparation. Uh, we certainly don't look at it as a negative at all. Uh, I, I look at it as a, as a huge positive. Um, you know, it's our job to, to point out to the players. I mean, you know, normally when we do our prep film, you know, you use their last two or three, four or five games. You leave the games, you know, that are six, seven games out. You don't refer to those at all. When we play a team for the second time, we refer to that game a lot in individual matchups and in certain schemes on both sides of the basketball. Um, so to me as a coach, Hopefully all the assistants feel this way. Hopefully the players feel this way. Hopefully you use, you know, now it becomes a little bit more of a chess match. Um, certainly in, in a, you know, whether it's the NBA D League or, or the NBA and you get into a playoff situation, um, you play a team for seven games, you know, you can have a, a little bit more impact as a staff with each game that goes on, you, you hope. So make more shots. That is the key. Um, it's pretty simple. You think they can get it done against Mississippi State in the shape that they're in? Well, they're at home. That helps. Uh, you know, people are going to be fired up and excited uh, with baseball starting this weekend. I think that, you know, people might be coming in town for, for the baseball series, and they'll also check out the basketball game. I think it's it works both ways. Uh, so I think it should be a good atmosphere they can maybe feed off of that and that may be enough uh and then who knows maybe mississippi state's reeling after their big blowout loss against Ole miss so so who knows maybe they catch them at a good time all we know is arkansas can't just keep relying on mason jones to score no. 35 points per game because as we've seen it's not gonna happen these teams know all about them they're gonna double them it's gonna be tough all right Shout out again to CJ's Butcher Boys. Go get yourself a burger and stay tuned when we come back. I'm going to catch you guys up on the latest in Arkansas recruiting, which has been popping lately. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hogbeat Hour podcast and or radio show, depending on 
when and where you are listening. I'm Nikki Chabanel, your host and the Hogbeat Managing Editor. I'm back just to wrap up the final segment of the show, and we're going to be talking recruiting and where this team sits um, scholarship-wise. So Hutch put out a really good article this week kind of explaining everything because people seem to be pretty confused about the difference between how many kids you can take in one class and how many scholarship players you can have overall on the team at once. So at any time, you can have 85 scholarship players on your team, but you can only take 25 initial counters. And initial counters count as JUCO, high school, or transfer additions. So um, if you're not an initial counter, that means you have been at the program for more than one year. Um, So any new addition is going to be an initial counter and go towards the 25. Arkansas is sitting at 24 initial counters for the 2020 class with 20 signees and four grad transfers. Um, Felipe Franks, Jerry Jacobs, new kicker from Duke, A.J. Reed, and Levi Draper, the linebacker from Oklahoma. So they're at 24. They only have room for one more guy in this 2020 class. Um, Occasionally, like last year, you can count back scholarships if you have extra, but Arkansas does not. They gave all their extra scholarships because they had to, to walk-ons at the end of last season. Um, And you have to do that to be able to take early enrollees. Um, But Arkansas is sitting with 24. They are um, still committed to taking Ebony Jackson, the three-star running back out of Georgia, Uh, He still has a little time to get his grades in the shape that they need to be to enroll here at Arkansas. If he doesn't, Arkansas could go in another direction. Sam Pittman told Channel 5 this week, I believe, that he was aiming for a guy who can make plays with the ball in his hands. And that obviously leads you to believe that it's Ebony Jackson, who is the number one target. And that makes a lot of sense. You cannot promise a kid that you're going to take them if you're not committed to waiting it out to see that they can qualify and make it. So they seem to have made that promise to Ebony Jackson um, at the expense of Xavier Kelly, the defensive tackle um, grad transfer um, from Clemson, who um, came to visit Arkansas already on an official visit, said he was going to make a decision soon, but with the way things have played out, getting A.J. Reed from Duke, a much-needed experienced kicker on the team, the numbers just don't allow for them to take both of them. Um, So Xavier Kelly at Clemson, he didn't have a ton of production. So from my perspective, they're probably wondering, is it really worth, you know, um, not taking Ebony Jackson, who could be a player for three, four years here at Arkansas, um, instead of Xavier Kelly, who you don't know how much production you're going to get out of him. He only has one year left to play, um, didn't do too much at Clemson. So overall, you definitely need a defensive tackle, but are you better off taking him or sticking with the guys who played a bunch as backups last year on this team? A lot of people were confused because Chase Hayden, um, redshirt junior running back, he 
enter the transfer portal as we expected. Um, he only played four games kind of on purpose in this past year, his third year here at Arkansas, because he knew he wanted to save his two years of eligibility um, and go play somewhere else. He had a really big season freshman year um, and then broke his lower leg. Um, he was a leading rusher at the time. Uh, his production dropped off a hill after Rakeem Boyd joined in 2018, and then he only played the four games in 2019. So his production has just been way down since he was a freshman. He would probably get a lot more playing time somewhere else considering Rakeem Boyd is returning. Traylon Smith, we heard a lot of positive reviews about the Arizona State transfer who is now eligible to play this season. You got Amante Spivey, a new addition in Dominic Johnson, and you also have TJ Hammonds, who is coming back on scholarship in the summer, or at least that's the plan. So you have a packed running back room. Um, you could also add Ebony Jackson. So Chase Hayden losing him, not a huge hit to the team. Hopefully he gets some more production elsewhere. But him leaving, a lot of people were confused because him leaving does not open another spot for a transfer to come in. His scholarship is essentially now um, up for grabs for a walk-on. Or if a guy like TQ Jackson or Jordan Jones wanted to come back onto the team, come out of the transfer portal, they would get that scholarship spot. So they have two of those spots left sitting at 83 total scholarships if you include Ebony Jackson. So if you don't include him, you have three spots that you can give away to walk-ons or um, current players who are playing the transfer, stuff like that. But overall, uh, besides Ebony Jackson or Xavier Kelly, they cannot take another player in this 2020 class. Um, if they don't take either, maybe they look for a tight end. But the tight ends in the portal, a lot of them have mostly played special teams. A lot of them are real strong blocking tight ends, but don't do a lot in the passing game. And I think that if they were going to use a grad transfer spot, they would probably um, use it on a guy who is very dynamic at the tight end spot. Now that you guys know what the 2020 team picture looks like, uh, it's a little bit easier to see 2021 needs, stuff like that. Um, you can go to hogbeat.com anytime and see the scholarship distribution as it currently stands. Um, and that'll help you kind of figure out where there are spots for the 2021 class. You're always going to take a quarterback, a running back, several wide receivers, several offensive linemen, several defensive linemen, linebackers, etc. But you can kind of see where they're going to be lacking with some seniors leaving, stuff like that. Um, use code HAWGS30 for 30 days free on hogbeat.com. Looking ahead to this 2021 class, Arkansas was significantly behind, obviously, um, giving out offers for the 2021 prospects across the nation because Sam Pittman just got here. But I'm happy to report that Arkansas is up to 107 offers for the 2021 class, which is ridiculous. I mean, a lot of schools are already at like 150 and stuff, but in the time span that they have been here, they've given out at least 85 new offers. Um, so they've been watching a ton of tape, calling up coaches, seeing what's up, and then calling those recruits and trying to get to know them a little bit, build some relationships, and then we'll see who gets to campus this spring. Um, I know that March 7th is going to be a pretty big recruiting date where they hope to have prospects that have offers here on campus. You know, a lot of these prospect days don't have a lot of kids with offers, but that March 7th date is pretty important leading up to spring practice in April. 
um, of the two, um, of the 105 2021 offers, eight of them are out to um, quarterbacks. I think there's three guys out in Texas, a couple of guys in California, one in Georgia. Uh, seems like those are where Kendall Brown Kendall Browse kind of feels uh, comfortable recruiting. I like all the guys in Texas, Garrett Nussmeyer, um, Tyrone Drones, and we've got uh, Caden Salter. All those guys are really good dual threat quarterbacks. Um, Caden Salter, I believe, is from Cedar Hill, and then um, Tyrone Drones is from down in Houston where Kendall Browse likes to recruit a lot, and got Malik Hornsby as well. Um, those three guys are still available. It looks like Nussmeyer is leaning towards LSU, but um, you never know how these things are going to go. Quarterbacks are usually some of the first off the board, so we'll see who comes to visit. I know that Nussmeyer has plans to do so, um, as well as Caden Salter. Um, so it was funny because I had a list of all these guys they were offering and then I realized I was short because I hadn't included all of the offers Justin Stepp had um, sent out before the new staff came and I thought well you know they'll probably have to reevaluate those kids etc but it seems like he's rolling with that offer list and uh, adding them all up he is up to 45 wide receiver offers so if you go down the rivals' recruiting rankings for wide receivers and even the top 250, I mean, every wide receiver out there is having an Arkansas offer. And while it seems like, you know, you're kind of casting out a really wide net, I feel like at Arkansas you kind of have to. You have to see who is interested enough to come visit, and then you can narrow it down because uh, your initial group of offers, a lot of those guys won't bother to come to visit, so he's making his relationships, sending out invitations to come visit, and then we'll see um, who bites on that end. Um, not a ton of movement with this 2021 class just yet. Like I said, junior days are continuing to come up. The first one re was reserved for a lot of in-state and nearby prospects. There were a couple from St. Louis, um, but he got one commit in Terry Wells, the offensive lineman from Wynn. Um, and plenty more to go. I'm excited. Always excited to get to know these new kids. I got a couple calls to make tonight. Talking to a tight end down in Texas. Also going to give Kyrone Drones a call, that quarterback I was telling you about. So get on Hogbeat. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. As I said, you can get 30 days free at Hogbeat. H-A-W-G-S 30. Um, thanks to CJ's Butcher Boys for our sponsorship. See you guys next time.